Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Government Transformation Show, the podcast for public sector changemakers. I'm Tim Coulthard, your regular host and community director at Government Transformation Magazine. Joining me today is Mark Smitham, who is public sector solutions lead for Mendix. We're going to be exploring ideas around sustainable digitalization, not just the big ticket capital S sustainable green agenda, but also sustainable with a small s. How do we build services and processes that are able to develop with our teams as technologies emerge, as we identify varied users, as different sector organizations join in with multi-agency collaboration? All those different aspects play into the idea of sustainable development. It's an interesting, at times complex issue, but Mark helps to break it down for us in this conversation with some simple ideas on how the tools and techniques and cultural change that are needed can play out. Lots to unpack, so let's jump into the conversation with Mark right now. So Mark, welcome to the Government Transformation Show. Great to have you joining us today. Uh, thanks very much, Tim. It's uh, an absolute pleasure and uh, to have the opportunity uh, to go into this in a bit more detail um on the topics that we discussed as part of the show then yeah it's fantastic thanks for the yeah advice. yeah we've got some big ticket items on the agenda here today so we'll we'll do our best to do them justice over half an hour or so but uh obviously notwithstanding there's some there's some big issues facing public sector um how tech can help that but yeah we're going to get into some of that stuff so looking forward to it let's let's start at the beginning there let's set the scene a little bit we'd, we'd really like to hear a bit more set the scene around you your background how you're working with Mendix and how you're working with the public sector uh, and helping them to, to pursue some of their goals. Yeah, fantastic. The uh, role that I'm in at the moment is uh, quite broad. Uh, I am not in the sales part of the organization. However, I work quite closely with those teams. I'm not in the development part of the organization. However, I work quite closely with those teams. Uh, part of the reason is because of my background and where I came from inside public sector. Um, I worked for five years in local government, municipal administration, and thinking about the integration and uh, sovereignty issues and uh, between uh, a local town council uh, with a unitary authority next door and certain transport and other services provided by the county council. How do those all integrate when quite a lot of the legislation is actually delivered and led by central government? So after about five years of that, I moved into a central government role. Um, and I was involved in delivery of uh, border management services in highly secure environments for national security. Uh, it was really good fun, incredibly challenging um, and uh, demanding to be able to talk the tech. Um, if you're having a conversation with the architects, talk to the frontline uh, staff and try and understand their business needs. Uh, work with some business analyst experts at the time because we didn't have um, agile uh, procedures in government back then. We were still talking about waterfall management and things like that. And we can talk about that in a bit more detail in a couple of seconds. Um, and then from doing all of that with uh, our partners and third parties in the industry, I got more into uh, working with consultancies. So all of those things are wrapped together uh, meant that I moved into a policy role. Um, at national government level, we were talking about cloud and national security. How can government buy cloud computing services? How can industry sell cloud computing services securely to government, be they police, national health service, local authorities, or central government departments, Ministry of Defense, that kind of stuff? How can anything meet all of their needs all at once? And then there's an opportunity to do it on an even bigger scale and start looking at it from the European Commission's perspective. And I've been based in Brussels. Uh, for eight years now, uh, since the European Commission, I've worked for the likes of Microsoft, 
uh, and uh, Huawei, and now I am in Mendix, which is a Siemens business, uh, and uh, the role is closely related to delivery of low-code uh, technologies. So I've kind of run the gamut of different levels of public sector and different types of technology and how they work with public sector. Fantastic. And your CV is like a whistle-stop tour of all the vagaries of UK uh, local and central government, all these different tiers from unitaries to town councils to districts yeah. to boroughs. It's, it's an amazing beast, the UK public sector. I'm not sure you design it quite this way if you were starting off scratch, but it has its, it has its personality and its charms uh, nevertheless. Um, and you joined us uh, just last month for uh, the Government Transformation Show, and we, we had a fantastic panel discussion around designing services for all and, and this idea of sort of inclusive service design and delivery. And it's a big topic. It covers a lot of ground as well, from the technical to the social to the economic. There's all, there's all sorts of angles at play. And it led to us sort of, you know, chewing the fat a bit about this idea of sustainable digitalization of, OK, yes, digital technology can do incredible things. But at the same time, we, we aren't all created equal in terms of our ability to use technology as, as citizens and as end users. And so how do we digitalize services, processes, operations, whatever it might be? in a way that's kind of sustainable, maybe that's big S or small S, you know, from, from the sort of environmental aspects through to the, does it help to meet the needs of all users as inclusive and accessible? So big big question, but what does that idea mean to you in terms of that sustainable digitalization? I'm interested to hear, hear your take on that. Yeah, so you hit the nail um, pretty squarely on the head when you started uh, emphasizing sustainability with a big S or a small S. Quite often, these things uh, often get sucked into the realm of environmental protection, uh, climate change issues and things like that. Sustainable digitalization is a combination of uh, two really challenging things. Uh, the climate change and environmental protection discussion in terms of sustainability and green issues and things like that. And then digitalization, the idea that we need and society and industry is moving in, in a direction where systems and services will become more electronic, they will be more connected, more online, and so on and so forth. So putting the two together, you end up in a, a policy and technology space, thinking about how uh, the transformation of online connected services can go hand in hand with climate change and environmental issues and how they can both together solve each other's problems and issues and things like that. Uh, sustainable digitalization uh, is not necessarily a new topic. Uh, it's been a tough one that's been discussed uh, quite a lot. Uh, and really, from my perspective, uh, I am uh, uh, often uh, thinking about the concepts where um, how can you explain such uh, complex, two very complex issues in the most simple way possible? Um, and the way that I've uh, thought about this is uh, focusing on uh, sustainability from the perspective of how something can be maintained at its current level. So, for example, the idea of deliberate obsolescence of hardware devices, uh, the concept where we have a throwaway society, that's not actually a good thing. As soon as you start putting that into terms about technology uh, and apps, we're actually talking about common reusable pieces of technology that can go hand in hand. And we get into much deeper conversations that think about what are those common building blocks that can be used in public sector services 
Uh, and because they're being reused, it means that uh, the systems and services in public sector can reach out to more people and be used in a better way that therefore has a lower impact on environmental issues uh, as, uh, as a result, as an outcome. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting to hear how that how that plays out in reality, because I think the term sustainability can seem a bit daunting and, and you sort of wrap it up with saving the planet, which let's, let's be clear, isn't an entirely worthy goal and something we should be working towards, but you can kind of get overawed by the scale of that rather than thinking actually, what's a sort of sustainable mindset that can deliver value much quicker in terms of efficiency, cost, savings, yeah, so instead of uh, exactly um, cost savings, instead of going directly into a discussion about uh, green and environmental climate change issues for sustainability, think about um, sustainability with digital transformation for central government services. Oh, how is this going to be possible um, when we don't have the talent and skills required to deliver these new kinds of services? Well, we're going to need to have uh, new civil servants in place. That's not sustainable. I mean, no uh, public sector organization can just say, oh, yeah, we're just going to recruit more people. And even recently with a, a mandate for if uh, Lord Maud is going to take on the role that he's been asked by Boris Johnson to uh, review the civil service and reduce the headcount by 90 percent in three years as 10 percent of the workforce. I think that's what their 90,000 mm. works out. At. That's not actually a sustainable way to deliver public services. Um, and it, when we are talking about digital by default, more mobile first ecosystem for public services, we end up talking about sustainable digitalization. And, and that's the reason why, although we've said, you and I, that sustainable digitalization is an incredibly complex issue, in actual fact, it's super topical and incredibly relevant for digital public services. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it plays through into into that that other big concept that again we we talked about at the show last month and i'd like to get into a bit now which is around the idea of inclusive design um which again can mean a lot of things to a lot of people whether whether that's as, as users and developers or whether that's as, as the sort of citizens who are you know interacting with services so when you think about inclusive design particularly around digital and public services what are the key elements of that concept particularly if it's done well uh if inclusive design is done well uh, then at the end of the day, um, there are uh, happy faces and good outcomes uh, on the end of the service. Uh, you're not looking, it, it, for, for me, from my perspective, inclusive design can have quantitative metrics. We can start looking at how many people are actually reaching and using the service, has it increased? However, I always like to consider it as a qualitative outcome because it, it, to include everyone, a 1% difference in some of those metrics doesn't actually demonstrate the qualitative value that that 1% has uh, changed in the metric, has actually had an impact on a community and their, their lives uh, as a result of the delivery of an inclusive design. Um, from my perspective, uh, uh, I like to think about this as not only thinking about the end user of public service, but also uh, the teams involved in uh, developing the new services. So for me, inclusive design is making the most of uh, uh, the all of the entire workforce that um, local authority has, um, or central government or uh, administration and agency, um, in order to deliver a service that meets the needs not only of the public, but also the employees as well. Uh, and trying to deliver that service uh, it, 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 uh, 
in, and an inclusive design process where that workforce are involved is admirable and should actually be uh, the outcome that we're looking for. Uh, not just the design process, but also at the end of the day, the users. So are the employees the user and can they um, be involved in this new service? Otherwise, we end up getting talking back about the points we were making about sustainable digitalization, where it's well, that uh, entire team is going to be excluded as a result of this new service coming available. Therefore, we either have to uh, reshape the organization or reskill these staff, which is a lot more effort than if you'd actually designed it with their skill sets in mind and their end user needs um, fundamentally from the get go, uh, then yeah, you end up with those happy faces at the end of the day. And that, that sort of end-to-end -end thinking, you know, from, from users all the way through to sort of internal teams, there's, there's an aspect of that which I'm, I'm interested in your, in your take on, which is around a bit of a generalization, but this public sector is kind of good at collecting info and data and surveys and, and stats at the point of delivery or, you know, end user experience, whatever it might be, but doesn't always do a good job of feeding that all the way back through the process sort of internal, through development teams, through designers and that sort of stuff. I suppose my, my question is, is, is that a fair reflection and, and why, why are they maybe not doing a better job of playing through the data, the feedback all the way through the teams to improve service design and delivery, or am I being harsh? Well, you're not being uh, harsh. Uh, I think it, it, it comes down to a topic which is uh, repeated uh, so often that it, it just becomes the elephant in the room, talking about siloed government. Uh, the idea that um, the IT guys, sit, uh, guys and ladies, uh, sit on the other side of uh, a double door down the end of the corridor and we don't need to talk to them. We just give them... Uh, the service as it is and then they just go do and then unfortunately they kick it over the other side of the fence and the end user ends up with the uh, revenues and benefits for example uh, trying to use a commercial off-the-shelf offering uh, which uh, according to corporate approach uh, fits the strategy um, it's been bought by procurement um, the poor IT uh, team has had to uh, deliver it and develop it um, and then uh, the benefits team en ends up with this commercial off-the-shelf model that they're trying to tailor that doesn't actually fit the needs of central government for local service delivery, and at the end of the day, uh, everybody else being able to use it um, and delivering those happy faces at the end of the service at the end of the day. Um, and that, I think, is the fundamental problem, uh, which is very, very difficult to get, uh, get uh, over. Um, even in open plan offices, there is no floor space big enough to try and create a community team spirit. Because when you have a big floor space, there's a piece of furniture, a plant or something that creates that double door barrier, which, yes, I mean, you think about it in terms of a physical barrier, but it also creates a mental barrier. They're that team on the other side of the room, and we don't need to deal with them on a daily basis. But in actual fact, everybody's trying to deliver public services to everyone, be they a tourist, a resident, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether they live in the borough or uh, they're visiting from another country, the service needs to meet their need. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to explore a sort of product-focused um, take on this, but is one of the benefits of, 
a philosophy and a, and a sort of technology like loco that it's kind of reducing complexity and increasing collaboration because it's not here are the really ultra techie people over here who who do the coding here's actually a technology that's kind of bringing people together i'm interested in how that kind of plays through in the cultural piece yeah sure so um there's a couple of things to uh, break apart here so low code as now uh, i see is experiencing a similar problem to cloud computing from 10 15 years ago the idea that suddenly everything is cloud everything is low code well that's not necessarily the case there's actually quite a big difference between low code providers um, uh, but fundamentally getting all the way down to it it's like uh, low code is a visual development approach designed to get uh, past the challenges of fourth generational uh, coding languages and things like that um, when you're in that space of visual development it means that uh, a designer uh, can put together a piece of uh, the app um, in a visual way that they can then show to uh, the business analyst who understands the business, that can then show to frontline staff. And you can visually see just how is the process through a decision uh, as part of the service in order to deliver the outcome that we're looking for. Um, and there are edge cases. Okay, so what if? And because it's there visually, it means all these people can uh, talk together a lot more easily and that kind of stuff. So that's the reason why uh, when we get into a discussion about inclusive design, I feel very comfortable having a conversation with low code is a good, valuable offering for that. Um, uh, it can uh, deliver a collaborative uh, approach collectively. Uh, finally, giving a wrap up quite quickly to this question, because otherwise we're going to be talking for about two hours. Um, the idea that there is a difference in low code. So uh, at one end of the spectrum, you can have a low code provider that through this visual development approach focuses very specifically on the developer outcomes. How fast can something be developed? How easier can the development process be made? Well, I'm sure that's wonderful for some certain use cases. For other use cases, it's actually better to be able to, in a sustainable uh, digitalization approach, uh, to include everyone throughout the process and think about how much better value can be given uh, by not just having a visual approach, but uh, building into the platform uh, the agile approach and, and capturing user journey uh, that you can attach to development stories that can then be delivered as concrete outcomes by the developer. Because otherwise, if you capture things at the very beginning, be it even in a visual approach, and you, again, leave things on, on the other side of that plant or those double doors for two months, six months, and then come back and try and review it, you can find the service has actually moved on or the development has been done and missed something. So inside the low-code approach, not just does it need to be visual, but the agile uh, methodology needs to be embedded into the platform so that then not just everybody can see the thought process, they can see the progress and they can make changes to those user journeys where there's been a misunderstanding later on down the line. Uh, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I suppose th there's an another aspect of the simplicity versus complexity, which is around you know public sector, uh, services, I don't know, let's take DWP, which is a, a kind of cradle to grave organization, you know, every point in your life, they're going to interact with you at some point, you know, may, maybe 
you know, for whatever, for whatever reasons. And so they, they, as an example, are managing very complex sort of stakeholder networks. They've got multiple types of users with different attitudes, life stages, requirements, degrees of need, you know, socioeconomic factors. So there's a, there's a kind of level of complexity there around those stakeholders and user requirements. So what challenges does that then create around service design and delivery for, for an organization and a partner working? So, um the for the number one challenge i have here answering that question is i've never actually worked in dwp take any take any organization with then i can draw analogies to a bunch of others so uh, waving the flag of uh, local administration i would try and say well actually they're the guys that handle cradle to grave so the registrar and birth office birth registry wedding office and and so on and so forth is actually embedded inside local authority. So that, that is a little bit extra, but then we get into the relationship between them and central government. Um, but if you wanna draw an analogy to another large um, uh, government department uh, where there are other large issues, uh, large issues, there are other um, uh, large services that need to meet the needs of a wide, very wide spectrum of uh, the population. Um, under those circumstances, uh, the, some of the challenges that are there, I think, uh, are met either from a delivery perspective, but also from uh, budgetary perspectives as well. Uh, the idea of where we have a very large service, how can we break it down so that we can get it delivered? How do we, in terms of delivery, monitor all of these things collectively in order to be able to see the impact from one project on the rest of the portfolio? And then at the end of the day, um, how can we financially process this through budgetary and procurement controls to be able to deliver what at the end of the day is a huge multi-million pound program of work uh, that will fundamentally meet the needs of the public at the end of the day. Um, so when you get into very large uh, programs of that, uh, that kind of approach from a national government perspective, uh, those challenges uh, are things that are often need to be met um, together with other experts. And so you get into the concept of an ecosystem with um, either partners, third parties, um, other government organizations that, uh, that have experience and that they would like to share and so on and so forth. Um, and um, consultancies and service integrators and alliances where uh, they can all come together to deliver something. The reason why that's important is because these huge monolithic programs are fantastic when they meet the outcome but once they've met the outcome which can take decades that is going to reach a conclusion and therefore be run down so the public sector doesn't necessarily have to have all these resources all at once um, it at its disposal um, it, it, and we can talk about reallocation of staffing and reorganization because when the program ends it doesn't mean that suddenly everybody gets snapped out of existence. So they can be reallocated to other programs that have come along. Uh, but the backup and, and the relationship, uh, I think, between industry uh, and government to try and deliver those public sector outcomes in large programs is something that uh, needs to be done um, collectively. You, you can't rely solely on one player to provide an answer. Well, that, that goes into another discussion about multi-agency working and things mm -hmm. like that. The idea that for hugely complex issues, not just IT programs, but um, climate change, are we going to leave that up to a single organization? National security, you tell me there's one entity responsible for this? It doesn't work that way. 
yeah and uh, it kind of brings us around to that to the, the big s small s debate again i suppose doesn't it which is around when we when we're talking about tackling those sort of global issues and we've chatted before and, and you sort of talked about decarbonization climate change water quality flood risks you know you reeled them off and i think understanding okay when you've got you know service a being delivered by organization b and maybe that's a relatively simple thing albeit it brings its own challenges but when you've got global challenge a which needs organizations a b c d e f g yeah. to play their part i suppose how do organizations then need to rethink how they work uh, my sense is there's a there's a sort of a willingness and a renewed spirit of collaboration certainly conversations we've had with uk public sector there's there's a sort of uh, a reignited mission to collaborate to break down silos but the will is one thing then the getting it done is, is another so what's what's your view on how the collaboration piece the interagency multi-agency approach should and could play out in the, in the coming months and years nice biggie for you to finish off <laughs> yeah thanks very much um uh, i mean uh, I, I instead of a glass of water i should have got a, a nice massive half pint mug of coffee i suppose yeah to chew through all these ideas yeah um so yeah i think um uh, you mentioned flood risk um and you and i have discussed similar challenges before i think it's a, a good concrete example to be able to bring everybody's thoughts together on this uh issue uh, because um, climate change uh, is going to lead to um, a combination of things, uh, seas rising and a lot more rain. So if the rivers are full and we end up with flash floods, um, then uh, it's going to change communities uh, and farms. Uh, and uh, the seas rising means the flood defences uh, could cause problems at the coast because coastal sea defences have been changed and so on and so forth. And out of all of those things that I've just told you, let's think about a single river uh, course uh, throughout a region. There isn't going to be a single local authority responsible for this. It may cross several county boundaries as well. There are going to be lots of farms and lots of industry facilities along the way um, uh, as this river runs its course. And also then we start thinking about the uh, either emergency services in times of flood response, uh, but also central government authorities that are responsible for these types of things. Now, that's the reason why I give the example of multi-agency working uh, on tough issues and large government programs can never be left down to a single entity. It's, it's not a healthy approach to have. Therefore, the technology needs to be put together in a way that will facilitate all of these people collaborating together. Um, and again, uh, I think uh, that, that brings it down to the idea in my mind and uh, thinking about if we're talking about a visual development approach where the developers can talk to the analysts, can talk to the frontline staff, that conversation doesn't have to be within a single organization. It means that developers could be a third party service integrator with expertise to, with the tools that they're using that can then talk to a central government agency and say, hey, how do you feel about this? Let's talk to the county council or officers responsible for this particular area and this topic um, and frontline uh, staff uh, in local authorities that are dealing with these tough issues for planning inside a flood risk area. That conversation to me um, is uh, doesn't need to be limited inside a single organization to try and get it done. And you need the tools in order to be able to um, uh, I was given an idiom, an analogy um, at the very beginning of my career, 
Um, and when I was this young, it was quite difficult for me to fully understand it. Um, and just in this conversation, it's popped into my head about four times already. So I thought I'd share it with you as well. The idea that the tail wags the dog. The technology ends up making the decisions that the public service has to change itself in order to try and get things done. Uh, even when it comes down to uh, code labeling inside a system, the way that the architecture of the hardware, the uh, software has been put together, therefore the code string can only be six letters long because of the way the database is structured to handle the data and trillions of strings. And therefore, yeah, we've only got this many bits. So the code length is this long. Great. Now imagine you've got to walk up to a planning officer and ask them, so what code do you want in order to be able to use this in the system? Fundamentally, they don't care. That question was something that I was naive and thought that that's the approach that was necessary. So when I get into a conversation with people and with this logo behind me, they're going to think I'm biased. But my career has led me to this stage where a visual approach where the dog is wagging the tail, where the front line is able to get the technology to work the way that it needs to, um, I think, uh, yeah, the outcome uh, is likely to have greater impact for jobs, economy and climate change using a low-code approach. Fantastic. And uh, you've done a great job there of breaking down what is a big chewy topic, multiple big chewy topics, and actually saying, well, here is here is starting to, to sketch out what the how might look like, whether that's cultural change, whether that's the mindset, whether that's some of the technologies and tools that we're going to use in the future, so that this interagency collaboration, which, you know, most people would see as a good thing, you know, ivory towers aside, that, that this is the way to work to, to, to tackle these big global challenges. So it's good to hear that there is a there is a way to do this. There are some ways of, of breaking down those silos, working together, making, making the process more inclusive, whether that's end users or whether that's like internal teams and so on as well. So good to hear that there is sort of light on the horizon there. So right, Mark, we've covered, we've covered a lot of ground there. We've gone through some big topics. So I feel like I should let you get about your day after drilling into, you know, we, we haven't quite saved the planet, but we've, we've helped, I think. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a great to delve into this, uh, to hear a bit about how the technology, how the tools, how the cultural change can play out in the future. So just remains for me to say, thank you for joining me uh, for the conversation. Thanks very much, Tim. I'm going to go and get that half pint of coffee. Good stuff. See you soon. Thanks very much. Cheers. So there we have it. Thanks to Mark for joining me for a really interesting conversation. Great to hear how changes in the public sector are playing out as we pursue challenges and solutions to those big goals around sustainability, around climate change, around digitalization, how technology can play its part to develop solutions that are more collaborative, that are more open source, and that can help multi-agency teams get together to provide those challenges and those solutions. Lots of interesting ideas there and lots of practical takeaways. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I'll be back soon with another conversation with a public sector change maker. But until then, goodbye.